A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head to head to see which one does it better on this week's episodes. In the red corner, we're off to turn of the century Japan, where adults are pretty pissed at the youth. How pissed? Well, they've created a law where a class of 15-year-olds have to fight each other to the death. Does that answer your bloody question? From 2000, we're talking Battle Royale. Battle Royale! While in the blue corner, the future is bloody lovely if you live in the capital, where you get fancy hair, glittery suits, and don't have to fight to the death as a reminder to society that something something look genetically engineered wasps from 2012. It's the Hunger Games. Welcome, welcome. The time has come to select one courageous young man and woman for the honor of representing District 12 in the 74th Annual Hunger Games. Primrose Everdeen. Prim! I volunteer! I volunteer as tribute. So what connects these two films and which one does it better? Hmm, let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Clash Butters. So today's lesson is you kill each other off until there's only one left. Nothing's against the rules. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. How are you both? Excellent. Good. Yeah, I'm fine. I was just flicking through just to make sure I've done everything. And I think I have. <laughs> but I've got the fear that I've just forgotten the format. <laughs> You'll be fine, Vicky, because at least you aren't doing Battle Royale. Alex, no pressure, but I expect you to get every name and every action of every character in this movie correct. Because very little happens. <laughs> you... 
won't be surprised, or maybe you will be surprised. Maybe you think I've half-assed it, but I'm not Vicky, so I haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have spent a lot of time reading about the economic situation yeah. in turn-of-the-century Japan. Okay. It's really interesting, it is isn't actually, it? Yeah. Genuinely, yeah. genuinely fascinating. So we are going to touch mm. on turn-of-the-century Japan and its economic decline after the World War that it was involved in. So we'll get on to that. But uh, right now, just to make you feel better, Victoria, mm. I had... Your last week, your last Monday show was my journey here in the cab. So those intros oh, no. were written literally 15 <laughs> minutes ago because I just forgot. I just forgot because I was reading about turn of the century Japan. Yeah. So if anything, it's Chris's fault because these were Chris's choices. Tell us more. Well, it's an obvious uh, comparison to make. We'll get into how much Susan Collins was aware of Battle Royale when mm. she wrote The Hunger Games. But um, I love both these films. And wanted to do them since we started doing the podcast. But as I said, it was hard to see Battle Royale. I think you had to be subscribed to one of the more obscure services. So it's now on Amazon Prime. So it's a perfect time to do it. Plus, I did have a look, as I promised, in the archives. Sam Walker, Tom Hyten and Chris Johnson all suggested this for last January. Cool. Um, And we had lots of people suggest this on Twitter over the last couple of years as well. So it's a popular pairing and I couldn't be more excited to be doing them. Who knew that Amazon's acquisition of MGM would pay dividends for our little show? Because that's what it must be, because it was the MGM streaming service, the one within the Amazon Prime platform Mm. that you had to then purchase to watch this. Mm. And now, obviously, they own MGM. So there you go. And we do try, as I say, we do try to pick films that it's easy for you guys to see. So, yeah, it's out there. It is out there. So the clue you gave on last week's show was... That's what I haven't checked for next week's films, where you can find... That's the thing that's bugging me. Okay, we'll get to it. We'll do it. That's Thursday. You've yeah. got three days. I've got three whole days. Three days. And I know. Okay, good. Um, my clue was Teenage Kicks mm. on the show, which, as many people pointed out, would have been a great clue for Karate, Karate Kid. Kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and then my second clue wasn't actually my clue. It was your clue, Alex. So what was it? Bloody Kids. Excellent. Don't you love that? Mm. I've never, I never really, really get involved in the clue section, but I was like, I am going to message Chris with that. I was happy to have it. I know, but you, well, you were sort of like, I was going to go for this. And I was like, oh, but I think mine is it's kind yeah, of really good. That's why I did that's it. That's why you did it. That is why you did it. So we're on Twitter at ClashPod, on Instagram at ClashPod, and the guesses fought tooth and nail to be the winner. Gemma Page, Danny Baker, Foob, Mark Shea, Richard Cartwright were all left in a heap, despite having the right answer, because the first correct answer and this week's winner is Kev. The odds were in your favour. Your prize, Kev, is a dry cleaning voucher to get the blood of the Clash Potters you have slain in your quest for victory out of your clothes. And dry cleaning's not cheap, so that's actually quite a good prize. (laughs) Even a fictional good prize. Sure. Do you ever dry clean anything? I do. What do you dry clean? Anything I've worn to a wedding. Oh. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, I could probably because I'm about to sell it and never wear it again. <laughs> <laughs> you a dry cleaning fan, Chris? A suit. A suit. I do my shirts at the dry cleaners. I know it's a little bit, you know, like it, you can wash a shirt, but I can't be bothered with ironing. I fucking, do you know what? The other the other weekend, you know, me and Mark went out for his birthday. Yeah. I was ironing Mark's shirt and you, for some reason I thought of you and I thought, I bet he never irons his own shirts. <laughs> I bet he doesn't. 
And out of the ether, mm. you've pulled that thought from my mind and confirmed what I thought to be true. It's my little treat to myself. Yeah. There's nothing like a press. That's, that's what made me think of it. So I was ironing. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> this is so boring. I'm rubbish at it. That said, though, has he ever ironed? Because I can no. iron. No. I'm quite good at ironing. Mm. I just do not want to do it. It's pathetic. No. Watching him try to do it. <laughs> no. All right, then. Connection section. What do you got? You just touched on one, Chris. Well, they've got the same plot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I, there is, There are... There were some sort of criticisms at the time that Susan Collins must have read Battle Royale or been aware of it to come up with the Hunger Games. But I think she doesn't say that. She doesn't. No, I'm no. saying. But a lot of um, a lot of reviewers and a lot of the social uh, media community were yeah. like, "Hang on a sec. Yeah, this is too similar." Yeah. But in hindsight, uh, most commentators, let's call them, have said that actually what Battle Royale did, the movie, did create a whole genre of yeah. Battle Royale. And there were plenty of things that were very similar before Hunger Games came along. So there isn't really a direct correlation between the two. Mm -hmm. uh, two guys in love with the same girl. Uh, hiding in a cave with your sort of boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Videos explaining exactly what the deal with this death match is. Well, look, I think that's a big problem, actually, is, is that they both kick off with written explanations of what's happening, and then that gets repeated 10 minutes later in a short video, meaning we didn't need the written stuff at the start. True. Yeah, that's a good point. It's bad filmmaking. Uh, tracking devices. Mm. A random selection of participants. Career warriors slash tributes. Random weapons supplied. Uh, high-tech v. low-tech. High-tech society, low-tech within the game. Meddling of external parties to make the games more interesting. Mm -hmm. And then those game makers get killed at the end. Obviously, with Hunger Games, we don't see him getting killed, mm. but come on. Oh, yeah, he's eating those berries. Yeah. Forming, mean, forming of gangs within the game. Yeah. Mm. Public announcements of which people have died. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah, it's almost like there's no way she can't have seen Battle Royale <laughs> when she wrote The Hunger Games. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> Sodger commentators. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any more for any more? No. Finally, uh, what makes this quite exciting, at least externally, is they both have in the 80% region on Rotten Tomatoes. So Hunger Games has 84%, Battle Royale 88%. So they are both rated quite wow. well. That does make it really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's exciting. Wow. We've got two films that are of a similar quality. For once. As far as commentators <laughs> are concerned. Right then, on Thursday, Victoria is going hungry, but today I'm enjoying a battle royale with cheese. Let me take you on a journey. So Japan, at the turn of the century, and children are terrifying to adults who get together to create the Battle Royale Act to teach those bloody kids a lesson, whereby one school class a year is sent to take part in a fight to the death. So we meet one such class who really don't seem that bad at all. Like, seriously, the way they behave on that coach, they seem lovely. If that was a school bus I was on when I was going to school, something would be on fire. <laughs> so, I mean, one of them made cookies for another. <laughs> cookies. It's like, what is the bar of bad behavior in Japan in this movie? It's like, well, you didn't make enough cookies, so fight to the death. 
Anyway, turns out it's that old teacher Katano, a man who definitely has the wrong temperament for teaching, who's in charge of their murder trip. He's already killed their previous teacher for trying to stop the battle, which seems to fall way outside the rules of this game. Anyway, they fight, pretty much everyone dies, the end. Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, Battle Royale. So, histories with this movie. Chris? Saw it when it came out in the cinema and loved it. You actually went to the cinema to see this? I did. I was very excited. What year was that? Was it around the time it actually came out? Because it it, it had this weird relationship with some territories where it was never allowed to play. Like, I don't think it ever got a cinema release in the US. Weirdly enough, as far as I could tell, because the company that made it in Japan were told by American lawyers... If you screen this in America, you will be arrested because of the content of this film. So they actually themselves put loads of legal bits and bobs in the contract that meant no distributor would ever screen it in the US. Yeah, I think I think um, just before this came out, I'm not sure what year it came out here, but an independent cinema opened up in Croydon. And so I saw it then. So it was sort of second or third run at the David Lean Cinema in Croydon. And I think I was about the only person in the room. Well, it's Croydon, though. It's a lawless state. <laughs> was it Was at that time. <laughs> Vicky? I have seen it once before. I rented it from Blockbusters in East Village. It's a very clear memory. Mm. I say that, that's a complete lie. Mark reminded me. I was like, <laughs> as far as I was concerned, we never went in a Blockbusters when we lived in that flat in East Village. But he assures me we did. Because we were really excited about this. There was such a fuss about it mm. that we made a special trip to the Blockbusters um, and rented it and watched it. <laughs> <laughs> is, that how that, is that how that works, Blockbusters? i tell you what, I've got a funny story about that flat, right? <laughs> so we had a telly that I got from my work. When I was working as an agent's assistant, um, they were, we were clearing out the office. They gave me this massive old telly. We didn't have a telly, right? So we, you know a big telly with the big back on it? And we got obsessed yeah. with this Paul Ross Supernatural show because it was so awful and it was Paul Ross reading ghost stories, right? And Mark made me watch it on repeat he's like, look how bad it is. But it was brilliant and the production values were really low and it was just like Paul Ross like wandering around like it looked like Blackburn like telling ghost stories and we were watching it and one day, halfway through this ghost story, which wasn't at all scary, the television exploded. It exploded during a ghost story. So you think... I think... The TV hated Paul Ross. <laughs> It was pipes. <laughs> it was pipes, exactly. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, haven't, yeah. I haven't even seen that, that ghost watch either, but it was definitely pipes. Yeah, it scared ah, the living shit so out Mark, of me. So Mark won't listen to our podcast, but he will watch Paul Ross's ghost stories. <laughs> That's a good point. There's a review. Unbelievable. Wow. How about you, Alec? Uh, I can't remember exactly when I watched it. It was on video. I didn't go to the cinema to watch it, but I remember watching it and being really screwed up by it, like thinking, this is... I can't believe I'm watching this. This is where we're all headed. (laughs) It got under my skin Mm. uh, quite a lot. And I think part of the reason um, we can talk about this is obviously you're watching kids killing each other in a very graphic way, which is already like, fucking hell, this is new. But I also think when 90% of the films you watch are American, when you watch a movie that is made by uh, filmmakers in a different country, a different culture, there is something different about the template they use for storytelling and what they show and the way they tell stuff that you aren't getting the regular beats that you mm, would expect yeah. from a movie, which I think makes the whole experience even more scary. Makes it more anxious, I think, mm. for me, because I like to know I've got very simple taste and, you know, I'm a big fan of a three-act structure and all the rest of it. So it just puts me, a, which is a good feeling for a film like this, but just a bit more on edge because I'm not sure what's about to happen. And I will say that I revisited this for the first time about six months ago, quite late on a Saturday night after I'd had quite a lot of wine, thinking it'd be a good idea to introduce my missus to this film. (laughs) And this is 
not the film to watch on a Saturday night when you're pissed. It's very hard to concentrate. It's very disturbing. <laughs> it's There's a lot of characters to keep track of mm. and it was not an enjoyable experience, which has made me more interested this week in thinking, oh, I thought, you know, I thought two years ago, I definitely liked Battle Royale better. But then having tried to watch Battle Royale six months ago, there's more jeopardy this week. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And part of that is what I was just saying about this structure, because I do remember even the first time I watched it. And uh, I won't say this time, but the first time I watched it, I remember thinking, I don't get this end at all. I'm not quite sure what's happening. There are some very strange decisions by characters, but we'll get into that. Uh, So... I'll tell you a bit about the film. It's the final film of celebrated Japanese filmmaker Kinji Fukasaku, who was 71 when he made this, and it was his 60th film. Uh, his work has been a big inspiration to other filmmakers, John Woo, Quentin Tarantino, definitely. If you have the time, you should watch the behind-the-scenes documentary. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm so glad you've watched it. Oh, my. He's terrifying, isn't he's, he? Considering... These are a lot, not all of the cast, some of them are a little bit older, but there's a lot of 15 year olds <laughs> in this cast and they are having a filmmaker go, right, so some of you are going to die. People are being shot with squibs and he doesn't take any shit from them. He's like, stop doing that. <laughs> Do it better. That was terrible. Why are you looking that way? Yeah, nuts. Kitano, don't use the fake chalk. Get some real chalk and throw it at her head properly. And then it hits her on the head, and he's pissing himself. And the girl's like, "Oh, it's such such an honour to be killed by Kitano in a movie." But it's like, wow. is it? Because if this was in the West, I think this man would be going to prison because he is. I mean, he's going around. He's he's smacking the kids. He's it, it's violent, and it's he's getting a real reaction, genuine reactions out of them. And he turned them all into stars, but. I mean, his the way he went about it is not what we would say is fine. No. Different times, isn't it? Different, and he's quite cool. Oh, he's he? so cool. He's got he's a, cap, caps on backwards, basketball, top, yeah, yeah, trainers, vest top, aviators. <laughs> he looks fucking great. But what I thought was interesting was there are certain things that he's saying that they've bothered to subtitle on this documentary, and then there'll be an entire sort of five minute portion where he's talking to a kid and they haven't subtitled it in right. English, and you're like. I bet he's saying something so abhorrent mm. that they will not subtitle it to keep keep us from knowing. There's one moment where he makes a kid do a stunt and the kid does the stunt. He looks like he's a tiny bit hurt and he's just laughing. <laughs> he's laughing to, to his assistant director saying, do it again, do it again, ha, 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 ha. And you're thinking, oh God, don't, I don't want any of them to actually die. <laughs> it does, it looks like a, a health and safety nightmare, <laughs> this shoot. There's a bit where uh, uh, Nanahara and uh, uh, Nariko are walking along the cliff. You remember where she falls over because she's so fatigued. Yeah. And you, he's sitting in a director's chair at the other side of a ravine going, get closer to the cliff. <laughs> oh. Closer. Not not there, closer. And she's like, uh, okay, because he says so. And yet they all look like they're having a good time. Yeah, they do. Mm. They do. Uh, so it started life as a novel of the same name. Anyone read it? No. No. I did. I read it at the time. Oh, okay. I can't remember a huge amount. What I mainly remember is it's not Japan. It's like a it's like a fictional version of Japan, and also that it's sort of Pan present- M more like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's presented the games presented as this uh, as being there for military research. That's why they're doing it until at the end it gets revealed that it's actually to terrify the population. So those are my main takeaways. So the book uh, was basically, it was entered into this writing competition. And just because obviously the film was controversial, the book was controversial. Everyone on the judging panel went, this is by far and away the best written book 
it's not winning because it's about kids killing each other. <laughs> but it went on to become a bestseller in 1999. Um, the writer, uh, Takami, uh, says he was half asleep on his futon and he woke up uh, with this mental image of his old drama teacher who just looked at him and said, all right, listen up. Now today you're going to have to kill each other. And he was grinning as he spoke. And I was terrified, but I was also laughing. So I had to write it. <laughs> so um, as I said at the start, Japan at the end of the 20th century was, and this is new information to me, so I've just been reading about it all week. And like Chris said, it's fascinating. So there was a rise in teen violence at that time, which this book was a reflection of to a certain degree, because kids had become disillusioned with the fact that they were pressured into this really, really intense education system. But the problem was that the economy, like the industrious nature of the Japanese in rebuilding their economy after the war had been completed. So for the first time, you put all your childhood into going to school after school. Most students in Japan weren't finishing till 11 at night. But the idea was you then become part of this machine, this fantastic economy. But that wasn't the case. So there was unemployment for the first time. So a lot of youths got disillusioned with the idea that they aren't going to be getting a job at the end. And what was the point in all of this? That, coupled with the fact that a lot of Japanese children, and this was an article in the New York Times written in 1997, I think, or 1999, a lot of kids weren't seeing their parents at all because their parents were working so much. The kids were at school so much. So they had no guidance from the adults in their lives. And according to some social commentators, a lot of this violence and a lot of the crimes were them acting up to get the attention that they weren't receiving from their family. So all of that kind of melting pot of ideas is where this film comes from. But also what I think is great about it is you can look at it and you can look at these themes and go, wow, but it works as just a bit of sci-fi, mindless, dystopian entertainment at the same time. And that's what I love about it. So one other thing that I will mention uh, before we get into this movie is uh, the director himself wanted to make it because, and this is a crazy story, but he became very disillusioned with the Japanese government and authority. And he wanted to pass on his, I guess, fear, but idea of questioning authority to kids, teenagers with this movie, because at 15... He'd been forced during World War II to work in a munitions factory with a lot of his classmates who were a similar age at 15. And it had been bombed. And to survive, he'd had to hide under the bodies of his classmates and then been forced to bury them as part of, like, this is your duty to bury your classmates. And at that point, he got very, like, fuck this. Mm. He, and- said, he said, I decided that day that um, adults were no longer to be trusted, mm. which is interestingly ties into this film and a lot of the films he made, not just adults, it was the government. So many of his films were about not trusting the government or where is the government taking Japan post-war because he felt like not enough people were questioning that at the time. Yeah, and um, and that's why he sort of tried to rally against the, the 15 rating it got given, which is kind of crazy, but you couldn't go and see it if you were younger than 15 in Japan and he was going to complain and then he thought then he it. saw it <laughs> <laughs> then he thought if he'd appealed they might start chopping up his movie so he just went fine yeah put it out there and the final thing just because it's 6,000 actors auditioned for this film which was narrowed down to 800 
And these 800 were then put through a six-month period of physical fitness training or a battle royale, <laughs> if you yeah. will, to uh, whittle it down to the 42 that we see in the film. Wow. And uh, finally... Just, why? <laughs> I just don't get it. Like, How much money can you spend on pre-production to put... 6,000 yeah, to 800. Yeah, you've got like 740-odd kids that you... 60 kids that you don't need, so... You no, know, you've got 800 kids doing a six-month physical fitness yeah. training exercise. And you're only going to pick 42. 42, yeah. He's yeah. doing a great thing for the fitness of the children of Japan. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and then we get on to uh, Chris's mate... Uh, beat Takeshi, Takeshi Kitano, uh, who I know you've interviewed and I have not. Mm. What's he like? He's quite, he's quite the man. He, I, I went and found the quotes uh, this morning because I had this vague memory of him talking about pandas. <laughs> and yes, in my interview with him about the Blind Swordsman movie Zetoichi, one, the first thing he said to me when I was asking about his career, he said, there's not much you can say to someone unfamiliar with my movies except watch them. They're like a panda bear. No matter how much detail you use to describe one, you really have to see a panda bear to know what is there. Okay. But couldn't you say that about every film? I don't think that's just specific to his film. I also think it's really easy to describe pandas because they're the bear, but they're the black and white ones. But that's what he's saying. It's easy to describe them. But I think to actually experience a what panda. a panda is like, right, you yeah. have to see it in the flesh. Because they're so rare? Is that what you mean? I think it's more the fact that like they have like this personality that other bears don't have uh, other animals they're a very specific kind of like once you see them they like, shouldn't be here frankly <laughs> that video where that baby panda sneezes oh yeah right? <laughs> but he was obviously one of the reasons he was cast in this movie is not just because he was a acting legend but because he had his own uh tv show Takeshi's Castle where people had to compete against each other in the 80s mm -hmm. um and so I was asking him about that and 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 he said the people who love pa I, I asked him about the tv show by the way he said, the people who love Panda Bear do not care whether Panda is sleeping, shitting or eating. All it has to do is just be there. I'm the Panda of Japanese TV. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's part of the reason he was cast. Can you imagine if I said that? <laughs> yes, I can. Yeah, I can. <laughs> yeah, so, can I. <laughs> so he was cast because he was known from a game show. So it wasn't that unbelievable to have him be in charge of a, a game show like contest here but I, a strange thing in that in that behind the scenes video is he said the director told me he said Katano is you just be yourself mm. and he said I don't know why he said that but I'm just being myself in this film which is terrifying <laughs> <laughs> yeah because the character in the book isn't called Katano so he's just gone we're going to call you Katano <laughs> yeah, as well this is you. blurring of reality yeah. yeah yeah it was going to be you or, or this panda <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> nope, the panda's just shitting. Uh, uh, as much as that's a panda, I don't want that in my movie. Right then, let's get into this. So, I'm assuming we all saw the same version because there are a couple of versions. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> um, so basically, you either watch the director's cut, which has the basketball in, or you watch the theatrical cut, cut which doesn't have the basketball in. I watched the one without the basketball. Me no too. No basketball. Excellent. Fine. So we all watched the theatrical cut, which I think is the better one. The basketball one's interesting because they cut back and forth to this game that they're all playing and you get to know who they are and get a sense of how they might behave in the game 
through how they behave in a sport. Which applies to one of the characters in particular, which I'll touch on when we get yeah. there. But aside from that, I think we watched the right version. I agree. Should have checked though, shouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it starts by letting you know just how intense it's going to be with Verdi's Requiem Diazare. Amazing. Which is just like, what am I in for here? Yeah. <laughs> you've got to be good for you've got to be a good film after that though. Mm. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. can't chuck that in and then not deliver. Also, uh, it features on just as an aside, that is the best trailer I've ever seen, which is Mad Max Fury Road set to Verdi. It's so good. It's one of those trailers I rewatch. We get a bit of text on screen, which Chris mentioned, set in the near future or what was the near future back then. Turn of the millennium Japan. 15% of all people are unemployed. As I touched on this earlier, I'm not going to do it now. So in this uh, reality, the kids are feared by adults who pass the BR Act, uh, where a randomly, randomly selected year nine class have to fight to the death on a deserted island until one remains and they are the winner. Got a bit confused already, not going to lie. I thought this was a flash forwards mm. to the winner Me of too. this battle royale, yeah. but it's clearly not. No. It's a flashback to the previous winner, so you get an idea of just how big a deal this battle is with the press trying to get to her. And I think that's kind of important because that is the only real time you see what the external world thinks of this game. Like Whereas in the Hunger Games, you're often cutting back to people watching yeah. in the capital. And the kids still seem to know what it is as well. So mm. there's not like this recognition like, oh, we're the ones that have been selected. When he's explaining mm. to them the act, they, they need a video to tell them what it is. Yeah. So let's get into section one, which is called School's Out. So after some brief introductions, uh, mainly to Nanahara, mum walked out on him and dad hanged himself. Um, a weird image, a disturbing image, no doubt, but... I couldn't work out why he has his trousers around his ankles. Cause in my knots, yeah. Why you, has he got his pants down? You immediately think autoerotic asphyxiation. Yeah, which I still thought until the uh, translation, interpretation of the tape of the thing, that's, which is all to his son. Go for it. You can do it. So you wouldn't be having a wank and doing that, <laughs> would you? That really threw me. I feel like he's trying to say that the parents of this generation aren't just letting them down. They're an absolute embarrassment. I felt oh, like that's okay. why he was presented that way visually. But um, I could be wrong. Well, it's certainly not because, I mean, the natural thing would be to go, he took his belt off, but then he isn't hanged with his belt. No. He's hanged with a, a flex. And I think you can see it's damp there, so he's, he's, he's pissed himself as well. Your theory actually stands up, the idea that it's meant to be a statement of embarrassment. Mm. Yeah. Because because in this version, that's the only parent we see. In the director's cut, you see another parent, the, the real psychotic girl. You see her mum. Yes. You get a sense that her home life is is, is has turned her into this person. Mm. But so all we get in the theatrical is this just embarrassing. He's just a bit, you know, when we see him later in the film, he's just a loser, the dad. Mm. And it's doubly embarrassing because the thing that he's written, go for it, on is toilet roll as well. Mm. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So we're at school. Uh, we meet Katano, a teacher without a class. Uh, who have left a message on the chalkboard saying we're just taking the day off because pretty cool it is, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. can you imagine doing that at school going see ya yeah. <laughs> did you ever bunk off school uh, I did once yeah I did to watch weirdly enough The Crow on uh, <laughs> a pirate VHS Happy time well spent well done you yeah you just couldn't wait until after school but the thing was like, it was PE which all me and my friends because we play like Warhammer 40k were clearly not into or good at in any way so it was PE we bunked off but we all bunked off together obviously on Monday morning we walked in and they went right you're all in the office because you clearly all 
you were there at lunchtime and then you just weren't. And just going, we were watching a pirate, pirate not a pirate VHS, a VHS of the crow doesn't hold water. Did you, Vicky? I imagine you did it quite a lot. Me? Yeah. I was head girl, Chris Tilly. What? I can't be seen to be bunking Alex, up. do you believe that? Do you believe that? I thought you went to a comp. I did. Your comp had head girls Fuck and off. boys. Yeah, it I did. I didn't. <laughs> Yeah, it did. And I was that chosen girl. Oh, well done. No, I did. Bunk, I only bunked off a little bit, but for like a silly, like to, to play with my band, like we used to nick off together mm. because the drummer lived right next door to school. So then we would always pass it off as band practice. And it was band practice, but we were supposed to be in lessons. But we were only supposed to be in PE again. Like no one's going to be. And if you were, that. if you were genuinely doing that, that's quite a constructive way to spend your Thank time. Thank you, Chris. But yeah. did you get into trouble? Like, for, uh, did you, I got, did you get they threatened to take my badge off me. <laughs> I swear down. It's sort of comprehensive, has it? You had a badge what as well. I had a badge. A yeah. badge system. Oh, head girls go out of a badge. This sounds Otherwise, like Hogwarts. How, how would they know I was head girl? How would the underlings <laughs> know who I was? So I had a badge that said head girl, but the competition for head girl was quite fiercely contested. And it was not on my part, I should add, because you've got to have a little bit of indifference towards these things. That's how you get the gig. But my best friend at the time, she really wanted to be head girl and she didn't get it. And she was really sad. And I remember the assistant head. I mean, a lot of teachers didn't like me for fairly obvious reasons and so I remember the assistant head always saying to me it should have gone to Sarah and I was like well fuck off Mr Hodgkinson because it never so mm-hmm. fucking suck it up oh, no and he does listen <laughs> <He's a fan. laughs> but then when I got in trouble I got for playing but also the other thing was the head teacher the actual head teacher was a bassist so I just used to say to him, mm. I'm just trying to get better at the bass just like you and then Aww. I wouldn't be in trouble anymore but he said if you do it again I'm taking that badge off you my maths teacher was a bassist <laughs> Mr. Brown, <laughs> he was a huge Coronation Street fan. Used to call it the Street, uh, but it, yeah, we all found it amusing because when you when we were kids and you played bass, you had it down here. Sure, yeah, his was right up here, like yeah. by his neck. He took it very seriously. He was very good, <laughs> very good. Did you ever bunk off, Chris? Just the once went to go and see a badly drawn boy gig in Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> I took, That's so sweet. I took the afternoon off. It gets even sweeter. Took the afternoon off with my mate Danny Grimes. Went down to Brighton. Weren't sure where we were going, so stopped in it, where the venue was, so stopped in a pub to have a pint. Mm-hmm. And Baddy Drawn Boy was in there with his band. No. So we went over and got directions from him and had a pint with him. <laughs> it was like, oh, this couldn't have gone better. Did you get in trouble? No, no. Oh, okay. no. Well, that's no, fine. Just got away with it. He's really nice, isn't he? Lovely. He's really Grimesy. nice. Grimesy, he's lovely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're both lovely. Danny Grimes sounds like a character from Grange Hill. <laughs> but Chimney sweep. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get into trouble either because when I got my letter through the door... You threw that away. I know. I wrote a response. I word processed uh, a response on my computer. And signed it from your mum. Signed it from my mum, sent it back. She never knew. Does your mum... No, nope. now uh, she she does now. So yeah, okay, yeah. So she I, does listen to this. Sometimes. I know she does. She's a fan. Hi, mum. Right then. Uh, so uh, if that wasn't disrespectful enough, the class going, we're off. He gets stabbed by Nobu. Yeah. So you're talking before you were joking about what? How bad does your behaviour have to be? That but, is fairly bad. Agreed. But I, it, it's such a. I, I don't really understand this sequence. So it's like, almost like Nobu, run, Nobu runs out of the room and then does he intentionally stab him or is he carrying a knife because then the knife clatters to the floor and I think it's is it, it's Nariku who yeah, picks Nir- it up. Nariku picks it up because it's the knife that comes back into the film later At the on. end, yeah. yeah. Which is a really odd moment as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm a bit confused uh, about what, what the... Why Nobu did it, or if it's just sort of blind violence? We, we're, we're supposed to be confused at this point, or not? No, I think I do think later in the film, Kitano does say we did. We either get a flashback, or he tells him that you were you were a loser. You never came in school. You shouldn't have been here. Yeah, in that scene when they're first mm. all together and they wake up, 
Um, he does have a massive go at him suggesting what he'd maybe said to him that day that, that had inspired him to stab him. Mm. Okay, well, let's take a short break and then we're going to get into the real fight. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This week, there's been loads going on across Stack. Over on the Luke and Pete show, I'm telling Luke about why my hairstyle has been bothering children. And she says, why have you got your hair like that? Yeah. Why have you got your uh, hair in a ponytail? We've been told that we're not to talk to men who have ponytails. <laughs> Good parents. Yeah, but that wasn't the parents. They didn't say that. Right. She'd just been told at school or something never to trust a man with a ponytail. Meanwhile, the book club is back with a cracker on Football Ramble Presents. Kate and Jim were joined by Simon Cooper to talk about his new book, Delving into the Heart of Barcelona Football Club and what its legends were really like. Johan Krev, in, in my humble opinion, he's the kind of Freud or Marx or Einstein of football. He invented modern football, but he was also a lunatic. Krev was a guy who walks into a room and says, you're doing it all wrong, you should do, it. You should do what I say. Listen to the Luke and Pete Show and Football Ramble Presents every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Right then, well, according to Wikipedia, uh, Katana retired from teaching after he was stabbed. Uh, I'm not sure that comes across in the film because I didn't realise that actually this school trip that they're on, this is a whole year later, mm. uh, because I also didn't realise that the guy at the back of the bus, who does look slightly older than them, that's their new teacher. So they were in year seven at the start and now they're in year nine. Mm. And that's their new teacher who they're having a laugh with, which mm. sort of adds weight to my argument that they don't seem that bad. It seems to have been Katana they had the problem with because mm. they're having a great time with this new guy. Yeah, yeah, and but when you see Katana's behaviour, they would have a problem with him. Mm. He's he's insane, and so <laughs> and so. I think that does make make an interesting sort of circularity to the story. Then maybe he is the was the problem, yeah. not them in the first place. But are they sort of because the teacher that's at the back of the bus 
he's younger than Katano and he's meeting the kids at their level. So maybe the film is saying that's not how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to respect Katano no matter how insane he is or what he does to you. And for a teacher to be on side with the kids is actually um, degrading to the mm. profession. because a betrayal. He's, yeah, he's oh, come down to their level. We've all had teachers like that that wanted to hang out with you and thought they were your mate and it's embarrassing. Oh, it's awful. It's all, I'm, yeah. I'm still friends with him. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's, it's very... It's strange. At the time... It's quite nice because yeah. you're like, oh my God, I'm in a pub with my teacher. Yeah. But the reality is you're it's a bit... horrible. Like, when you think of... about it later. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you're a grown-up. Yeah. I also think about a teacher who, he did this weird thing. Not that weird. Uh, he, uh, he used to stand when he was like standing over you, like sort of helping you with your work. Mm. He'd stand with his hands, not just down the back of his sort of trousers or in his back pockets, but down the pants as well. So he was holding onto his buttocks as he wow. talked to. By the way, uh, for listeners, Alicus is just demonstrating that to <laughs> Vicky with his actual hands. Yeah. You're not eating that. Didn't don't need to don't do pass that. me a pint later. <laughs> no, I did that. Could have just described it. Mm. Anyway, before you can say, this looks like a nice field trip. It reminds me of when I went to Beamish. Uh, They've been (laughs) gassed and wake up in a derelict classroom with two other scary looking older kids. Uh, And who should be in charge of this randomly selected class? Uh, But their teacher, Katano. I have a lot of questions at this point. First of all, why is he in charge? Why are the soldiers deferential to him? Why, if the class was randomly selected, would he be acting like he's brought them here as revenge? Why is he allowed to kill their teacher, Mr. Hayashida, because he was opposed to his class being selected? If Mr. Hayashida was opposed to his class being selected, surely they weren't that bad. And also, that seems to fall way outside the rules of this game, where you can just go, I'm going to murder this adult because he got in my way. I've got a few questions like that. And you know what the answer is to all of them? It's Japanese culture. <laughs> it's just something we can't understand. So you just got to roll with it, Alex, haven't you? And I, I did because there's a, enough what the fucking fuck moments <laughs> yeah. in this yeah. scene that you, you immediately, as you're like, wait, I don't under. Oh, He's oh, just no. thrown a knife into her forehead for whispering. <laughs> was, was that real chalk? <laughs> oh, yes, it was. Um, yeah. I mean, the thing is, and we're going to talk about this properly in a moment. If you were told right you're part of this game this these are the rules of the game you have to fight to the death but then you survive if you're the last person standing you get to live out your life and that will be that you, you kind of want these rules to be set in stone it's like the game itself is a nightmarish scenario but we do play by the rules and the idea that katano is pretty much walking around killing children willy-nilly before the game has begun makes me a little bit sort of like just feels feels like underprepared. It feels like if someone's like, yeah, then you, you can ca- carry a gun when you play football now. It's he's a, just trying to get things going, isn't he? Mm. Yeah. He's just, you know, when people are together, everyone's a bit, a bit nervous when you're having a play like a game. like an icebreaker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly that. <laughs> he, he's the first on the dance floor, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, uh, we get a brilliant uh, video explaining how it works, uh, which I love. We get an explanation of the colours. Nobu sees his up front. Which seems weird that Katana goes, I'm pretty much surely that he'd save that till the end. Like Nobu does all right. And then Katana goes, kills him. It's like he's just sort of like he's Katana's public enemy number one for True. stabbing him. Yeah. And then he's immediately offed. Yeah. What I, what I liked about that watching it this time was the bit of foreshadowing just before. Because when they're on the bus, the photo they take, Nobu's head is cut off. Oh, yeah. Oh, and 
then his head gets blown off. Yeah. Oh, that's good. It's a good moment because it makes the kids realise, obviously he's killed someone already, but the stuff with the collars could be bollocks. Like, who knows what they do? So it proves to the kids that they will explode. But it's it's the first time that it sets them against each other because when nobody's crashing into them, they will, they don't want to be anywhere near him. Mm. So that he's sown dissent through that act and made them realise that the explosions are a real threat. So it's mm. good. And we also think that Nobu might be our protagonist at this point. So bang, he's gone. So yeah. all bets are off. Yeah. Classic two deaths, Vicky. She's not convinced until two people go, <laughs> girl getting stabbed with a knife. Mm. Dude, that's Vicky. I might get that tattoo. That's nice. Uh, But yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Uh, So we get Nobu's head exploding. Um, We find out a little bit that they're there because they're disrespectful to adults. And that seems to be the only real explanation they get for why they're there. They might become criminals and therefore it's better to kill them than let them fulfil that potential, Mm -hmm. which is obviously mad. It does cross a lot of T's and dot a lot of I's because he goes, we've told your parents, they're fine. So uh, <laughs> off you pop. Section two, playtime. So I like the fact that it's already started. They've all got this random weapon in a bag thing, but it's already started. So when Nanahara is outside, a girl already has an arrow through her throat. Yes. Uh, a lovely, wow, this is real now. So a big question. What would you guys do? You've just been handed a rucksack with a random weapon in it. You don't know what it is at this point. What do you do? Well, that's we're, why we're the... going out in sequence. By the way, the three of us. Oh right. Do you wait for me? Do you go it alone? Do you? Do you? What do I you do? I get you two killed really fast, right? <laughs> and then I hide and regroup and have a think about how I bump off everyone else. But I know I can take you two, and so <laughs> surely just... if you know that, you'd keep us around as sort of like a human wall. Like to protect you from other attacks. Like, no, because I think you'd be expecting me to kill you quite quickly. So, so you might as well. <laughs> well, then I risk you killing me. So just just get yeah. it done. Yeah. See, I I want that to be a joke. <laughs> you shouldn't have asked. <laughs> I know, but I didn't. I thought it'd be like a nice bonding exercise. Where we're no. all like, all right. You say yours, Alex. Then I just I'd hug you and tell you both that I loved you, and then I. would Probably go to a cliff and jump off. Really? Rather than be forced to kill you. As you were bleeding out, I'd tell you that I loved you. (laughs) (laughs) I did it for you. (laughs) I would wait. Yeah, I would find us. We sit down, like, look, we've got three days. We're going to die anyway. So let's just have a sit. Maybe if we can find a drink or something and just have a chat for like three days, talk it out and then hold hands and all our heads explode. Mm. That's what I would do. What if, what if our competitors, what if it was all the film podcast hosts? Oh, that yeah. was the Battle Royale. Oh, Perfect. Mm. That's good. Are you writing would, that down? That's a good idea. Would, would, yeah. would, would we win? <laughs> I would. I'm Kiriyama in this because he's got the best hair. <laughs> he's got terrible <laughs> hair. <laughs> I really like his hair. So Kiriyama is one of the older kids because what happens is we see people doing different things. Uh, uh, some of them form a gang uh, straight off and um, and then we see how tough Kiriyama is because... They capture him and start taunting him and in a heartbeat. And we don't know at this point that he has chosen to be there. That's yeah. a nice reveal later on. But mm. he guns them all down. Uh, some go it alone. A, a, a scene that actually, how to say this? Obviously, there are a lot of affecting scenes in this. But I think one of the most affecting is the two, the couple who decide to take their own lives quite early on. Right, yeah. I thought that was quite mm. powerful. It's a shock mm. and it's hard to watch. Yeah. Uh, it's just the words where he goes, maybe someone will save us. And she just goes, no, let's go. And they just jump off. Uh, and then we meet uh, Mitsuko, who murders her classmate Megumi by slitting her throat with a sign. Mm-hmm. 
Um, this is quite a good scene because it brings in the thing that I don't think has really been touched on at this point, which is people settling old scores yeah. from school. This is why it's clever, because yeah. it's a metaphor for school, but it's literally school. So mm. it's both. So school is brutal. There's, and there's another scene later where one girl is screaming at another, and then you stole my boyfriend, so I'm going to mm. kill you. And this is Mitsuko again. So yeah. Chris mentioned Mitsuko earlier. Uh, one of the flashbacks that is in the director's cut, which sounds quite useful, does go some way to explaining that she is uh, not very well, a bit of a sociopath anyway, and um, is not... I think she comes home to find her, her mother with a guy and the guy tries to molest her and she kills the guy and she's alienated from the class already. So she's very much on her own and thinks of herself as a bit of a loser, which makes sense when you come to her last words later on. But, uh, yeah, so Mitsuko kills Megumi. Um... And then we meet her the following day and she's she's had a shower and she's put some jean shorts on. Yeah. Up, she's putting on makeup. But she's she putting on makeup because she's at school and it would be, you know, it's social death to go to school without makeup. I mean, I mean, I assume it's the same in Japan as it is but here. It, with but, it's, but it's juxtaposed with Kitano announcing each person that's died and yeah. she's sitting there sort of grinning and putting on makeup. Yeah, it's yeah. really it's dark. <laughs> but I don't think it's because she's like, it's school, I need to put on makeup. I think it's because for the first time she's, being freed from being that loser at school, and this is a completely new ball game. Okay, and so she's like, she wants to make the most of she, it. She can be top dog now. Mm. Yeah, mm, because at the end, her last words are, "I just didn't want to be a loser anymore." And in yeah. the flashbacks that aren't in this version, you do see her. She's a bit of a loser at school, so now she's sort of she's blossomed in this fight to the death. I see. Yeah, I see what you mean. I, it just reminded me of being at school and. A great portion of the day spent in the toilets looking over this most gross mirror you've ever seen in your life, putting on fucking loads of far too much mascara. <laughs> was that your experience as well, Alec? Oh, absolutely, yeah. The amount, it is amazing, Only the amount when, of makeup that I used to wear. When I got to year 10 or 11, I think I started toying with a little bit of eyeliner. Why not? I was going through a bit of a goth phase. Nice. Not a big, big goth phase, but I quite... Mm. Well, you just in the crow, so you, <laughs> you felt enabled. I think that was it, you know? Of course it was. And I was wearing a woolly hat because I'd just seen Baddy Drawn Boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Oki attacks Nanahara and accidentally gets an axe embedded in his head. I mention that now because it comes back later. Uh, we get this really good moment, um, which I think plays into the competitiveness of the Japanese school system where a guy's reciting algebra yeah. and trying to attack them and going, I'm going to win this and I'm going to go to the best college. Because in Japan, there was, I don't know if there still is, again, this article I was reading came from sort of about 15 years ago, but it um, it talks about how more than any other country getting into the right college in Japan will dictate your future mm. and will ensure that you have a good job. And so I think he is sort of a personification, that character of the idea that, you know, I have to beat you and I have to go on to be successful in my life. Yeah. I know that it's if you if you fail to get into the college you want rather than settle for somewhere else, you just keep trying until you get in so you can fail multiple times because it's worth the pursuit of the right college. Mm. We get a, a kind of subplot that runs throughout that. I, 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 again, I have questions. Uh, Mimura and his, uh, let's call them the tech geeks, are trying <laughs> to hack the system. Love They're that. trying to hack their collars, it seems like. Originally, they work out there's microphones in the collars, and yeah. that's how Katano knows what's mm. going on. We'll come back to it when it becomes more relevant, but... 
just so you're aware, that is going on in the background. Then we get this really trippy bit uh, where Chigusa is training. Uh, she's wearing her collar, but she's training on the island. She seems happy. She seems like she's loving it. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, an actress uh, called Chiaki Kuriyama, who I did recognise mm. because of... Uh, go go Yubari from Kill Bill, you know the girl yeah. with the mace thing. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she yeah. doesn't. Her character in this is not totally dissimilar. No, I think Tarantino said that that he. Oh, was did in, he? Yeah, yeah. I think he said that he was inspired by this character to write a character like that for her. Yeah. Mm. Um, because it's a, it's a, you know, a lot of these actors only get five minutes of screen time basically, but her one is particularly affecting. I think. Yeah. Yeah, she scares the shit out of someone just by shouting at him, basically. Yeah, but for someone who's trying to insist on having sex with yeah. her. Yeah, but the way she makes him change his mind about attacking her like that is by, I mean, it's its odd to us, like, mm. for our sensibilities. But when she's like, every inch of me will resist you. And he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, I didn't think that would happen. But it's brilliant. And he accidentally fires the arrow, grazes her face. And she's yeah, like, then she's pissed off. you damaged my face. <laughs> because it's school. She said, I think she says she's sick and tired of boys thinking and speaking with their dicks. <laughs> the latter of which I found quite an amusing concept. Oh. 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 Alex, oh. put it away! Vicky, don't be appalled. <laughs> right. that, I'm going. See ya. Oh my God. I'll tell you what, though. Respect to you for not giving it a big, deep voice. <laughs> it sounded like one of the Chuckle Brothers. How are you doing? To me, to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works. Good, good. Good, good. <laughs> Put it away. <laughs> how is Battle Royale not the weirdest thing about this episode? Oh, dear. Do you call it Barry or Paul? Am I in yet? <laughs> not, a, not a chuckle, but there's like, just, just, just grim. Uh, anyway, the guy who's trying to uh, get it on with her is uh, he gets stabbed to death in the penis. He doesn't, he does. <laughs> Stop him! <laughs> oh heck! Mm-hmm. Uh, get move on from the penis stuff. Great, but Zuko uh, turns up and uh, mortally wounds uh, Chigusa. Hiroki finds Chigusa, and you think that she's the girl he's looking for, and he's in love with her. But in quite a powerful moment, mm. he, she goes, "Is it me you're in love with?" And he goes. No, no. <laughs> sorry. Amazing. No, and she goes, "That's okay. We can just sit mm. here until I die." Yeah, um, which is, you know, it's a real. I really like that. Whatever set they're using, it looks like some sort of dam or something that yeah. they're sitting on. It's quite a dramatic shot, and it looks really cool. But and that's it's very again sad. the thing about school. If you fancy someone and you you're pretty sure that they might feel the same, and then you find out they don't, you feel like you are going to die. Like mm. that's the worst feeling. The embarrassment mm. and the mortification and the disappointment is very difficult to bear. That isn't just a school thing. Okay. <laughs> that lasts forever, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, but I think the more you it happens, the more you get desensitized to it. Yeah. I do have a really... It only happened to me once, it's fine. Yeah, but also at school, you're trapped, aren't you? Because you, if you go, yeah. if you swing for the fences and you mm. tell the person yeah. and you've got to go there again the next day, the minute you're a grown-up, you can run away and hide somewhere. But at school, you have to face the shame. Down the bottom of a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I should have given him that voice. <laughs> I thought you would, and I'm very pleased that you didn't. Who says it's a him? <laughs> so um, we are now uh, onto a bit of backstory. Ooh. So I haven't mentioned him yet, but Kawada, who has chosen to help Nariko and Nanahara, he survived once, but he lost his girlfriend and is desperately trying to find out 
what her last smile meant. So his return to Battle Royale. Got to be easier ways of doing it. Or you just got to put that to your back, your back of your mind. I'll be like, I don't really need to know. I know I, I I'm not going to go back into a death match because yeah. I'm a bit sort of like, is it good or bad? It did annoy me a bit because when he's talking about Keiko and he's like, oh, and I, I've, there's a mystery behind her smile. And, and I misread it. It's like, what a real mystery. Like she knows something that you don't know that isn't about love or about friendship. It's a real thing. As in like, there's an escape hatch or mm. <laughs> like <Yeah>. a real <laughs> thing. So I thought he's the like... rocket ship. <laughs> and then he's undercut by Noriko into me just banging on about love and friendship and whatever. And it, and it undercuts the... The solid mystery for him or that emotional mystery. Also, he's not there entirely voluntarily. He says they dragged him back into the game to liven things up. So he wants to solve that mystery, but he's not voluntarily gone there. He's been dragged there. Okay, okay. That's true. Sorry, yeah. And he says, I'm just... But now he's there. He says, I'm determined to survive and understand that smile. It seems quite obvious what the smile was because she says something like, thank you, like, uh, you know, and it's it's basically about the fact that she shot him because she knew he'd then kill her, but she didn't want to be the one to... She wanted him to go on in life, didn't she? Because I don't know. I, I thought it meant it just meant thank you for, for loving me. Yeah. I've, in, I, I've, in been, lo- I've had, been loved. Yeah. yeah. But she shoots him just before she says that. She did. I think I just read it as like she... A sort of panic. I don't know. I, I think I got that wrong though. Like... Because their collars have just got lit up. Yeah, and, and she panicked at the last moment. At the last moment, she realised, she panicked and did it, and then she realised what a good friend he'd been, and I think that was it. But but they're in a relationship, though. Oh, yeah, I they think. are. Yeah, So I got mean, photo. I, how forgiving are you? It's like, <laughs> I, she shot him. Yeah. <laughs> I think, though, what we, those last 30 seconds prove that Kawada, understandably, is confused. Mm. So, section three, dinner time. This is the scene that screwed me up as oh, yeah. a kid. This is the <laughs> when, when I suggested this last week, you went, "Oh, the lighthouse! Oh my god, the lighthouse!" Um, weirdly, it's not the scene that affected me quite so much this time, and I think because I was prepared for it. But you do it really; it works well as a scene because it sets itself up as a little safe haven from everything, and you can't at first imagine what's going to go wrong mm. in this sequence. Well, it's only girls allowed as well, so you kind of think what's going to go wrong is this boy's coming to their their den, and he's good. That's what's going to cause the trouble. But it and, does in its own way. Uh, yeah, mm. I guess so. <laughs> so it's Yuko who we didn't realise, and I think. I don't think we see her earlier, so it feels like it would have been maybe a bit better to see her when Oki gets the axe in his head. Mm. But she's witnessed this and believes that Nanahara killed him on purpose, even though it was an accident. Uh, but by the time Utsumi goes, yeah, no, I've just spoken to him, it's an accident, she's already not convinced and she's putting poison in the food. And I'll, I'll never get bored of deaths which involve people coughing up blood. Mm. But equally, Alex, you've watched the behind-the-scenes video I mean, uh, the director whips them up into a frenzy in this scene. Those are real tears. They're nursing real injuries in that sequence. And so that's why it plays so real is because it was carnage when they were shooting it. (laughs) And you can tell that, I mean, I'm not saying they're not brilliant actresses, but you can see there's something, there's an energy to that scene that that when she's standing on the table screaming at them, it feels... Very, very scary. And what he does do in almost all these scenes, he acts everything out for them before they do it. So he he does get involved. There's not many directors who do that. Tarantino does a little bit of that sometimes where he'll act it out for people. Mm. But I've never seen it on this level. Um, And yeah, it's just... And it's even got, it's even, you know, it climaxes so well with her saying it's not my fault and then and then throwing herself off the yeah. lighthouse. It's mm-hmm. like a, it's like its own mini movie. Yeah. 
It's um, it is yes. It feels very much like yes. That's exactly what it does. Almost Tarantino in that respect. Mm. A little movie within a movie, but it's it's just a line where she's like lying there and she's about to die. And she's like, "We're well, so stupid. Yeah, we could have lived. Yeah, and, and like, you believe them as mm. well. Because oh. it would be one thing if you're like, well, you probably wouldn't, but you know that the class can pull together when they want to because they all bunked off together. So they they are possible. I didn't believe the two girls. Just before Shuya kills Oki with the axe and then there's two girls on the clifftop and they're waving their white shirts and mm. saying, like, we surrender. I thought that was a trick. I didn't believe... I yeah, I thought it was a trap. But I believed the girls in the lighthouse that they'd formed this, like, little sort of weird, like, you know, society and that they would be fine and they just messed it up. Mm. Yeah. Uh, very quick section four. Getting to know you, getting to know Katano. Um, we find a weird dream sequence here where uh, Noriko is walking, eating a lollipop with Katano on the banks of a river. And just the way it's cut together, which I'm sure is intentional. Uh, first of all, you don't hear what they're talking about. But second, it seems like they're having the same dream at the same time. Right. Because she wakes up and goes, I just, it's definitely a dream. Yeah. Because she wakes up and goes, I just had the weirdest dream about Katana. And it's like, oh, really? And it's like, yeah, he just seemed really, really lonely. Mm. And this is the first time we get anything anything sympathetic said about Katana. But he's waking up at the same time. So you feel like just through the way it's put together, you feel there is a connection here. I feel like there's a suggestion that they were friends. Um, I think we see a bit more of that sequence in, in the director's cut. But also the way Katana behaves at the end and, and you get a sense that he wanted her to win at the end is that, is that there is some connection between the two of them. Mm. In real life, I think, beyond that dream. Uh, and then he pops up in the jungle to help her out when she's about to die. Gives her an umbrella. Gives her a brolly. That was definitely a WTF moment for me. It's like, oh, mm. that must be something I don't understand. That must be maybe... Yeah. I don't know. No, I don't. Um, but also, you're also hearing that he's got a pretty depressing home life. That's right. His, yeah. wife, his wife, his wife's sick. His daughter hates him, um, which is actually stuff that plays into the sequel to this movie, which we'll maybe get onto at the end of this. But um, yeah, I, I liked getting a sense of who he was. So he wasn't just this monster. He's a very miserable, unhappy man. Mm. Uh, so uh, section five is called, and the winner is. Uh, we're getting rid of the last few now. Uh, in the novel uh, and the film, in fact, uh, Kyoko uh, shoots uh, Sugimura. Uh, so this is the bit, uh, I called him Hiroki earlier, where he finds the girl that he actually loves. And he like, <laughs> bit of an idiot. Like He's got a gun and he's like, hey, wait, come here. <laughs> Bowls towards her uh, and gets killed. Uh, I make a joke, but he it then is very affecting because she's like, how was I fucking bodies? You've never... Spoken to me. Well, I'll tell you ever. how you're supposed to know. If he slags you off, there's your first clue at school. If he calls you a bitch, he's definitely into you. You're talking about did, did a lot of blokes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am. A lot of blokes fancy you at school. Oh no, 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 no. I think that's quite scary. So no one called you a bitch. Oh god, now I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he dies, and um, then uh, Kayoko, the girl who's just killed Hiroki, is killed by Mitsuko, and then she gets killed by Kiriyama. Mm, they have they have a brutal fight. I like that. I mean. <sighs> Because they're the two it, toughest people on the island, aren't yes. they? So you want to see them face off. Without a doubt. And they have a bunch of weapons and it, it doesn't last long, but they get through them all. Yeah. I, I would say it, not, it's not a cheat because it works so well here, but I don't think I've ever seen a scene which isn't scored to uh, air on a G-string that hasn't made me go, oh, that's a beautiful scene. Yeah. It's like the library scene in Seven, you know, Morgan Freeman's yeah. flicking through Dante's Inferno and you're just like, uh, oh my God, 
It's like dun, dun. Oh, anyway. Interestingly, Kiriyama, um, the director's son wrote the script for this, mm. and and uh, dad said a week before they started shooting, I want him to play a massive role in this film. He was, he didn't, and so his son was understandably pissed off because he had to rewrite the whole thing. But the director said he's always liked villains more than heroes, of and course. so because there's a great, there's a good um, podcast about this called uh, this film called The Projection Booth, and they talked to the subtitler who says she asked the director about what he thought of Seven Samurai, and he said. I don't like it. I would have made the film from the point of view of the bandits. And I think that says a lot about him and what happens in this film. And our hero, Shuya, who you're calling Nanahara, so I yep. want to get right, um, he wasn't sure, even while they were shooting it, whether he was going to be a hero at the end. He talks about on set, I haven't decided yet, whether he's a hero in the book. I don't know if he's going to be a hero in the film. So it's interesting that as they were shooting it, they still didn't quite know where it was going. They were figuring it out as they went along. I think Kiriyama, uh, the actor who plays Kiriyama did, because he's on the behind the scenes footage and uh, he sort of gleefully says, I kill a lot of people yeah. <laughs> in this movie, which is good because <laughs> if you kill a lot of people, you're in the movie a lot more. All right. So he knew. He knew. So uh, as I said earlier, um, the last words that Mitsuko says is, I just didn't want to be a loser anymore. And you kind of feel something for uh, in that situation, the tech guys launch a virus, or do they? Uh, someone launches a virus. I'm pretty sure it's them uh, to shut down the system. Uh, then Kiriyama turns up, kills uh, the tech guys, uh, apart from Mimura, who blows him up at the same time, uh, which means he survives. But in one of the most like shocking moments, where he turns around when Kawada is walking towards him, and he's still firing that gun, but he is now blind. Mm. It's great. It's very effective. Very effective. And so Kawada shoots him but gets mortally wounded in the process. But he uh, still manages to kill Nanahara and Nariko because he reveals there was no Keiko. He's double-crossed them. Or did he? <laughs> Section six, I'm calling. Not really sure what this bit's about. Uh, Kitano's whole beef is that his daughter hates him and the kids at school don't respect him. Yes. That's pretty much it. Yes. All right. Okay, fine. So I'm going to turn to Wikipedia for a moment here because this is what the Wikipedia entry. I just wanted to work out what's going on because there's something about the microphones here in the collars where Kitano says to him, it wasn't the tech geeks. You hacked the microphones, yeah. didn't you, Kawada? Mm. And I'm like... Don't get it. It clearly relates to the bit where him, Nariko, and Nanahara have just had that conversation, which is Kawada going, mm. I've tricked you, which is for the benefit, and you hear two gunshots, which is that for the benefit of Kitano, yeah. who then shuts the game they, down. They, they, oh, yeah. they both figured out how to, their speakers, both groups have figured it out. Right, okay. Um, but what they're really shutting down, the tech geeks, was the danger zone. So, you know, you would go into a place, you'd blow up. They shut those down. Well, we can talk about the danger zones in a, a, a little bit because I've got stuff to say about those bloody danger zones. Yeah, you've been zones. quite quiet about them. Well, that's because... Well, we'll get to it in a bit. Uh, all right, so uh, Katana goes, uh, Kawada, uh, I'm, I'm probably going to kill you now. And then basically Nariko and Nanahara turn up and Katana's drawn a picture. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's a great picture. Yeah, it's really scary. I'd quite like it as a poster. I bet you, I bet you can get that as a poster. I bet you can. 
um, which is all the class dying apart from Noriko. And he's like, I wanted you to win. And it's very good with the water pistol where Nanahara guns him down. He just mm. squirts him with water. But then he gets up having been... A lot of people get up having been shot a lot in this yeah. movie. And he sort of goes and sits down <laughs> and has an argument with his daughter <laughs> and then dies. Yeah. No, he eats a cookie first. <laughs> he's got things to do. Um so I don't really have much more on this ending. I mean, I love the bit where he's exercising. I think you do. I do sort of understand that he sort of goes. He knows that it, the game isn't really over, but he's telling the soldiers it is. So they piss off out of there, and he can then deal with this with the Noriko situation and all the rest of it. And um, and then they leave the island on a boat and are on the run. Kawada dies on the boat. Kawada does die but, on the boat before he can tell them what he's figured out. Kiko Smallman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're on the run, which directly leads into Battle Royale 2, which I actually reviewed back in the day. I've heard it's not great. It's not great. It's a bit of a mess, but I think there's a reason it's not great because Kinji, the director, died the first day into shooting. Oh, mm. shit. Yes. And so his son took over. So his father's literally died that day and he takes over. He directed the movie, having written the first one, but it's it's a bit overblown. It's a bit of a mess. It's This is... A, a weirdly prescient pre-9-11 movie that is a very definitely a post-9-11 movie they go on the run they become terrorists they become they be, it's a, it's an anti-America movie actually which is I think why it didn't go down particularly well in the States it's interesting ideas but it all it feels like it's bashing you over the head with stuff whereas here it's just much more clever the metaphors that are going on so um, yes I've never gone back to this one uh, that one this one works much better we talked earlier about sort of the re- the release itself and the controversy around it. Unless anyone's got any more, I'm happy to go into the bits. Sure. Do you have anything you'd like to say at this stage? No. All right, then. Let's do the bits. Uh, so, best scene, Victoria. So, for so I'm just going to have two. So, for one, like, micro moment that's a brilliant moment, talking about it's a metaphor for school, it's also literally school. I can't remember the name of the girl that says it, but she says it to Mitsuko. She gets rumbled because she says the girl facing her, I found a tampon and Mm. uh, this other girl wasn't on her period. And it's like, that is school. Oops, like fucking hell, that is school. Because being on your period at school, for some reason, every fucker knows it all the time. (laughs) Well, the girls do. And it's just this weird, it wasn't my school, it was this weird, it's not Catholic school or anything. It's just this weird thing where it's like, it's a badge of honour at the same time as it's like, oh! So it's like it's this thing that you try your absolute best to hide. And for a girl to say, I know you're on your period, was just like, that was like flashbacks to school straight away. I think rather troublingly, though, she does, doesn't she say? I, she says, I, I checked the other girl. I checked her to yeah. see if she was on her period. Which is mad. Mm. Uh, but the best actual scene is obviously the lighthouse scene. Yeah, agreed. Well, not agreed, uh, but good choice, Chris. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to say the lighthouse scene because I think it's, um, you know, we've got, Kenji was very upset with what happened to Japan post-World War II, that, that his country as a teenager was just destroyed and it was rebuilt in a, in a way that they didn't want. And he said that, that the reason he thinks um, that the people haven't been able to rebel properly is because these splinter groups appear and start fighting each other rather than those in power. And I think the lighthouse scene is a microcosm of the problems he sees in his own country mm. where people, the infighting that occurs that the government wants because it means you're not fighting the government. So that's why I think it's such a great scene. Uh, well, I'm going to go for uh, Mitsuko being killed by Kiriyama to Aaron G-String. 
because just it's a it, the shot itself where you know it's almost POV sort of first person thing from Kiriyama's perspective, but not quite. And you just see her falling into the water, and I quite got quite fond of her, mm. even though she kills people with scythes. <laughs> so uh, that's mine. Uh, MVW, Chris, most well, valuable, whatever. I'd say the most valuable is the video game Fortnite, which was inspired by Battle Royale and is huge. Um, and all those things that it did inspire. But for me, it's got to be Kenji Fukusaku because it was his 60th film. He was celebrating, it was his 70th birthday, actually, on set. Okay. Yeah, because you see him get the cake. Oh, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And it's just what an important, outrageous, incendiary film to bow out with. Mm. To, To have this kind of anger in your heart and to be able to get it on the screen. It's just absolutely inspiring. So, yeah, him all the way for me. Victoria. I do like the soundtrack a lot, obviously. Mm. That's very affecting. Uh, but uh, Katana, obviously. just <laughs> It's all been building. It's all there. But when he unveils that drawing, you, he just hops up a level to like unhinge baddie. <laughs> and then before he dies and he eats that biscuit, it's, oh. it's brilliant. I'm so glad you picked him. His outfit as well. Yeah, I had Katana. Yeah. <laughs> I had Katana or Kiriyama for his hair. Yeah, he's so cool. He's very cool. He's so cool. It's like a Terminator kind of thing going on. Uh, Right then, uh, finally, uh, let's do change at the end. Let's do it like I've just thought of it. Let's do a change, shall we? Okay, just give me a minute just to prep. Oh, maybe a nice third bit that we do. Uh, Okay, uh, so, Victoria, what would you change? So there's a lot going on about I've got a crush on you. Have you got a crush on me? I've always liked you. And it's all heterosexual, and that got on my nerves. So I did think at first that Shuya fancied the hell out of Nobu rather than Noriko mm. because that to me was all in front of me mm-hmm. and I joined those dots and it's fine that it's not because she's sort of you know very sort of traditional couple but for every single love story in that film of which there are lords to be heterosexual is boring and not like school and I wonder if that was a societal thing yeah where he was like he was thinking, they were thinking, we can kill all these kids, but we can't have same can't sex. Can't have a gay kiss. No, I, I wonder if 20 years later, we, we that wouldn't be the issue. Yeah. Good one. Nice one, Victoria. Christopher? Uh, yeah, uh, it's actually something you brought up, Vicky. I just think there's a real inconsistency there that these kids don't know what Battle Royale is. Battle Royale is. Um, Battle Roy would be a great name <laughs> for a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Battle Roy. <laughs> um, and, and yet at the start of the film, we've seen the news go crazy over the winner of the last one. So... It just doesn't make sense. It's a complete inconsistency in the storyline there. So either they know or they don't, but can't have it both ways. I'm going to piggyback where Chris has changed because I think you're absolutely right. I think it would have been nice to see people watching it. Like if this is a sort of national event or if it goes on behind closed doors and people are aware of it, but but they don't watch it or whether what's being broadcast on those monitors is also being broadcast into people's homes. I think sort of seeing... But it's not being broadcast into people's homes. That, that's the news catching them in the end, but it's not being broadcast. Okay. I think that's the point with this one that's di- that, that makes it different to the other one. Fine. Yeah, fine. So um, what I'd probably do is I'd lose the danger zones. I'm like, if you're going to create something called a danger zone, uh, which is a great idea because it keeps people from just going, I'm going to hide here mm. and, and not move. It forces them into combat with each other. You just want to see at some point someone not make it out of a danger zone in time so their collar blows up. Yeah. It's like, it sort of seems very strange that we never get that. And I'd also maybe take out the guns. I think the most, I just think it gets a bit boring after a while watching people shot again and again and again. And it's actually the more imaginative deaths, the poison, the axe in the head, uh, Kiriyama being blinded by the explosion that actually make you go, oof. So I'd, I'd, 
I'd, I'd send them back in with no guns. Uh, and that's my change. Let's do this. Right. So you ready for a quiz? It's a quiz quiz. All right. So, theme tunes. Okay. Quiz shows. You're very good at this. I don't think I am. You we did it. We are. did it with children's TV. As you know, I'm not allowed to play the actual theme tunes due to copyright issues. So <laughs> I brought back my friendly robot voices. So these are quiz shows and game shows, mainly from the 80s and 90s, because modern day ones don't actually have theme tunes with lyrics. Wait. Oh, so they've they've got lyrics. They're they're being sung. Yes. Okay. No, they're not being sung. The oh. fucking robot voice. I just told you. We've literally played it before. And you did fine. Did I? You did brilliantly, actually. All right. Are you psyching me out? Is this a psych? I'm trying. <laughs> it's only a game, so put up a real good fight. I'm going to be snookering you tonight. Oh, big break. I'm famed for my <laughs> Shit! Super. I'm going to be snookering you, snookering you tonight. Big break. Uh, I enjoyed that show. I watched it every week. Mm, it's good. John Virgo really made me laugh. Mm? See, that's not a theme tune. Ah. Yeah, this is it. Sorry. <laughs> I still really? get a point, right? Yep. All right. The heat is on. The time is right. Oh, it's time God. for you. I know for it. You to play the game. Cause people are coming. Fuck's Everyone's sake. trying. Trying to be the best that they can. I can reach Oh, going for gold. Yeah. Oh, my God. Thank God. You know what? Because it started off by saying the heat is on. I was thinking that's that's a different song. The heat is on. And of course, who was it written by going for gold? Henry Kelly. <laughs> we discussed it, it about three times on this show. Spandau who wrote the theme tune? Spandau Ballet. Hans Zimmer. Was it? Yes. <laughs> what? We have never discussed that. Hans Zimmer show. wrote the theme tune to Going for Gold. That's why it's so good. Okay, number three. Life is the name of the game, and I want to play the game with the you. The Generation Game. Life. Correct. Yay! Yay! I don't play the game with two. <laughs> Very good. Uh, okay. Life. Say one to Vicky. I want to play the game with you. you. <laughs> Ready? Yeah. yeah. It's wacky. It's fun. It's crazy. It's outrageous. Fun house. It's Correct. Yes. Prizes to be won. It's a real crazy show where anything can go. <laughs> fun house. It's a whole lot of fun. It was really Pat Sharp's fun house, but I'll, I'll accept that. <laughs> okay, final one. This is the finale. Okay. Ooh, and it's we... two all. Oh, God. I just can't wait till Saturday. I just can't wait till Saturday. I just can't wait till Saturday. That's one that's on currently. A game of sport. Saturday night takeaway. Correct. Yeah! Alex wins. Yeah! Alex wins. <laughs> <laughs> Alex I just win. can't wait till Saturday. I just can't wait till Saturday. I just can't wait till Saturday. <laughs> Cracking theme tune. Lovely. Lovely. I don't even know what the original sounds like. Uh, listeners, you just missed. Vicky just threw something at Alex. <laughs> That's a first. Uh, I enjoyed it though. It was good. It was a piece of chalk. <laughs> uh, oh shit! We never did that. At the end. Never mind. The knife at the end of the thing. You know the fact that she goes back to get his knife. It's too late now. Oh, we'll yeah. have to do it on the show, uh, the Battle Royale sequel show. Right then. Uh, next week uh, it's Victoria's choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What clue have you got for us? Have you done it? I'm not. Yeah, gonna, yeah. Have, I'm have. not going to prefix every question with uh, have, have you, you done it. It's very brief. Are you ready? The clue is blonde ambition. <laughs> Blonde Ambition is your clue for next week's pairing. Get on Twitter, have a guess if you like. Chris will be adding to that on Twitter where we are at ClashPod. Before next week, though, we're obviously back on Thursday talking The Hunger Games. In the meantime, please do rate, um, review, and if you want to subscribe, please subscribe to us. It's a great help. And check in with us on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. Back on Thursday. Bye-bye. 
This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.